we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. We're finishing up our journey today, and and if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you know what we've been doing. We've been looking at the Bible, looking at these different stories of disillusionment, despair, discouragement, depression, different stories like that, and we've been talking about them. So today, the way that we wanted to finish our time in this season was rather than to talk about these stories, we want you to actually hear real stories, stories from people in the life of this church that have been in these places, that have experienced these valleys of their lives and have emerged by the grace of God on the other side to tell their story. And that's what they've done today. They've invited us in to some deep, intimate places in their lives and their journey so that that maybe somebody here can learn something that we can leave with a little more hope today. And so that's what we're going to do. Cheyenne's going to start us off, so I'm going to get out of the way and let you run with it. We are so glad that you are here with us today as we end our series, Is This It? And even if we don't know you personally, I think we do know something personal about you, and that is at some point in your life, You've experienced darkness, disillusionment, depression, doubt. Maybe you've experienced death in your family. But by the grace of God, those moments are not the ones that define us. God's great, unfailing, enormous love for us is what shapes who we are. God gets the final say in who we are. And so I would love to ground us in a couple of verses as we kick off our time together. And the first is in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 32 and 33, and here Matthew is addressing a faith community much like us, giving us a whole list of things that you and I can worry about. And I think between you and I, we could, uh, we could, we could add up some things that we worry about. But in 32, after we talk about all the things that we can worry about, Matthew says, God knows everything that you need and goes on in 33 to say, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And that just reminds me that you and I can chase the things that we want. And sometimes they are exactly the same thing as what we need. But more often than not, they tend to be a little different. And this verse reminds me that seeking first doesn't guarantee safety or success. But it makes me think of another verse in 1 Peter 4.8 that says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And this is talking about God's love. And when we seek God first, the standard of love, how God loves us and how we are shaped by that love is what creates an everlasting connection and can get us through anything. So we're inviting you into a very sacred space of other people's stories today. It is not easy for them to share this, but I want you to know that no matter what you see today, I promise you, you will see the evidence of God's great love in each of these stories. So check it out. Hello, my name is Dustin. Uh, this is my wife, Brittany. We have three babies. We have a um, boy, girl, boy. We got married here at the Timeless St. Matthew. 
I didn't realize it would be as hard as it is and was. I just figured if two people love each other, they would make it work and there would be little bumps in the road, not big, huge craters in the road. I was disillusioned in the fact that I thought marriage would support my selfish needs. We had kids, I was like, bye, I'm going to have fun, go hunt or go fish. And you know, she would express her disapproval of being the one to left sit at home. And I didn't care, out the door I went, goodbye. I think I started becoming more selfish when I realized that it didn't matter what I voiced. If he was doing what he was gonna do, I was gonna do what I wanted to do. Instead of having the attention from my husband, I started spending more time in the gym and you know, being with friends. That had just pushed him further away. And next thing I know, it ended us in an affair. And in 2016, I asked him to move out. I wasn't sure what specific event got us to this point. Wasn't sure how. Clear as day, felt God speak to me and tell me that it was it was time. And I remember just feeling like, you know, time for what? And thinking I'm losing my mind, I literally hear God say to me. It's time for you to go back. And that was the point in which I had realized that maybe it was time to just put in a phone call. Maybe maybe just meet up and have a conversation. I had had a friend who invited me to come back to church to do a Saturday night service because I was not going to do Sunday where Jesse went. Um, and God had met me right there in my chair and for the first time, I apologized to God and sent Dusty a message that I was sorry for all the things that I did wrong to put us to where we were today. Um, and it broke me. It just, when it all reality hit me, that's when I knew we, I could not continue life this way. She was willing to meet up. Five hours later at Starbucks, lot, <laughs> lots of tears. A lot of talking, a lot of tears. Yep, we canceled um, both of our attorneys and we were done. Yeah, the day before our court date, we went up to the attorney's office and signed the paperwork for reconciliation of divorce. Um, yep, our kids were, they had their own attorney because things had gotten so rough. Um, we had CPS at our house. Um, and the CPS worker came and gave us both these huge hugs and just said how proud she was that we decided to work things together, not only for us, but for our children. So it was a huge eye-opener to see even the outside world was like, this is a great thing. Things looked really weird after that still, trying to, trying to navigate what the new normal was going to look like, how to get past the, the previous hurt, you know, on both sides. We started seeing a counselor, which really helped. Really, I think once we started pursuing God first and then each other next, it all just fell into place. I had personally never fulfilled that role of spiritual leader for my home, and I never spent time in God's Word the way that I needed to. 
I would say things now are great. We are total opposite than what we were seven years ago. We now pursue each other more. We try to fulfill each other's needs. We communicate better. It's night and day to how we handled our marriage initially. We were negligent early on in our marriage, unintentional after experiencing the repercussions of not putting our marriage as priority. We have changed dramatically how we handle our relationship. And now we both vigorously fight to keep that intimate relationship with God. Can you please give Brittany and Dustin a round of applause? what you've gone through and the fires that you have been in, but man, man, does your story glorify God. And I know that somewhere in this room, there is a marriage that has experienced an infidelity. And I hope, I hope that you can see how God can move, even in that physical and emotional abuse are two different things, but infidelity, there's more. It's not just it, right? So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story. So Brittany, for the, for the wives in the room, if there's this one piece of advice that you could share with the wives, what would it be? Um, just know that sin is a slippery slope. And if our story is your story, um, I don't want you to feel alone. And I want you to cling to God and find your people. And if you don't have people, we'll be your people. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, Speaking to the men, I would say that trying to reconcile your marriage, uh, it's not going to be easy. Uh, probably going to be one of the most difficult things that you'll ever do. Uh, and it's not going to be fast. It's a long process. And uh, I just I say that glory goes to God when you're trying to reconcile something that he brought together. And I always rested on Romans 8.31, which was, if God is for you, who can be against you? And... Uh, that's just what got me through the day. So yeah. thank you, Shane. Thank you all so much. Give them one more round of applause. So church, I want to uh, introduce you to a good friend of ours. This is this is our friend, Dee Dee Harp. Everybody say hi to Dee Dee. Hi, Dee Dee. Dee Dee, you want to say hi to everybody? Hi, everybody. <laughs> Dee Dee is a, is a wonderful woman. Um, if, if you're on site, uh, if you haven't met her before, if you've been here, you've seen her. Even if you didn't know her, you've seen her. Because her thumbprint is throughout the, the life of this church. She, you've seen her maybe at the Connection Point. You've seen her on the crossing serving as a deacon. Maybe you've seen her over Common Ground serving coffee. Or maybe you were dropping by during the week and, and you looked across the street and you saw her serving in the, in the community garden. This is, this is just who Dee Dee is. She is a servant. That's what she does. Now, Dee Dee has been uh, gracious enough to invite us into her story. And it's, a, it's, it's not an easy story. It's a, it's a difficult story. Uh, but it's a powerful one. It's, it's a story of her journey through just immense grief. And as, Didi, as we were talking and visiting learning uh, more about uh, your story, one of the scriptures that you mentioned, it was kind of an anchor for you, was Isaiah 41.10. And that connected with me. It was a, it was a passage that I used. A couple weeks ago, I used it back in, in June of last year. And when I, when I look at that, the things that, that jump out at me, because it's, it's, it's an anchor for me. Uh, fear not, for I am with you. 
I am your God. I will help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. I've chosen you. I, I love that passage. It, it reminds me, regardless of, of what the world throws at me, whatever I find myself in, it doesn't matter what it is, that, that God chooses me, that God calls me friend, that God is with me. And that's why it's an anchor for me. So what about you, Dee? Why, why is that scripture an anchor for you? So somewhat, somewhat similar. Um, help be with me with my fear. I had a lot of fears um, when I was first widowed and um, give me strength and peace and, and be with me and um, help just be along my side all the way. So Dee Dee has been so amazing in allowing us to kind of journey alongside her for a few glimpses into her life as uh, she's had grief as a companion. So I know you're going to be just as blessed as we are. Gives me a lot of joy to help people when they need help. Okay, Dee Dee, so tell us how you and Austin met. So we both worked at Cook Children's. I started there right after high school, and he was a nurse there. And so we met there and started dating. We were married over 30 years and a couple over 40. Um, he was a very um, outgoing guy. He loved all kinds of sports. He loved to hunt. He was an RN at the children's hospital where he worked. He blew up the gloves and made them into balloons and put faces on them for the kids. He loved to make people happy. My mom um, started getting sick in 2012. She was diagnosed with cancer and then she died in 2016. And then my nephew died suddenly um, in 2017. Um, and then Austin was diagnosed with terminal cancer um, mid-year 2017, so. And he passed? And he passed in, 20, in 2019. Didi, that's a lot of loss. Three and 35 months. And these were two very important players, three very important players in your life. Yes. Let's just go there for a second. What, what was that like immediately following the loss of Austin? So lonely. I mean, I was used to having somebody to talk to every day. Yeah. Um, and then just overwhelming loss. Like, you know, everything that I've done for the last 40 years, I don't have him to do it with anymore, so. Yeah. You just, you know, you just have to get through it at first, but then, then once all of that is over, it starts sinking in. It's like, okay, what am I gonna, what am I gonna do today? What's my next step? And what am I gonna do? You've got lots of worries, you know, financial worries, um, safety worries, because I hadn't lived alone in a long time. Just all kinds of worries, and you just start working through those. And now you've made really intentional strides to kind of navigate your grief. Yes. Tell me, tell me a little bit about some of the things that you started doing to kind of help you work through your grief. Well, so I, um, before Austin died after my mother, I went to grief share because I really thought I was losing my mind because <laughs> I, I, I was just foggy brained um, after she passed away. And uh, Grief Share helped me a lot and told me that was normal. And then we could be there with others in a safe place and talk about how we were feeling, what we were going through, what our worries and concerns were, and that was awesome. And so I had that background when Austin died, but I went back again because I needed, because you just need to talk. You just need to talk. So I went back again. Um, I started that about a month after he died or maybe six weeks. Um, also did some budgeting classes later in the year to try to figure out finances, make sure because you didn't have anybody to bounce that off of. So um, trying to make sure I had my bases covered. Um, I knew there was a, 
the women are worth Sunday school class that meets um, on Sunday mornings. I knew there were several widows in there because I'd met them in Grief Share. So I went to that class and um, did Bible study with them and had lunch with them to fellowship. And then um, tried to reach out to other people that were widows as well, just to, you know, how do you do this? And how do you handle these concerns and things like that? So still, I mean, when you have, are thinking about your memories, you're happy about it, and then something, something will hit you all of a sudden and, it, and it feel, you feel the loss again. And so you just have to go, no, devil, you're not gonna make that feel bad. <laughs> um, you know, you'll get to see him again, there's hope there. Um, so you just have to, have to change that back around to gratitude that you had that relationship and, um, and that the hope that you'll see him again. Where do you find your joy today? I think in serving. I mean, I, I um, have always served a lot, but you know, my, my husband and my mother were sick for a while, and so you had, I had a lot of caregiving, and I found a lot of joy in helping them. It gives me a lot of joy to help people when they need help. moments in that video is uh, of you in the garden because that's that's where you and Austin served together um, and I just admire you so much because even with even if even with the grief that you have carried you have found this place as a safe place to figure things out and, and grief share you're leading a small group now um, so I, I'd like to encourage any of you if if you do have grief in your life let this be a safe place for you to feel the things that you don't want to feel, to confront the things that you don't want to confront. And if this doesn't feel like a safe place, there is a safe place for you. Let us help you find it. Um, but you've, God's taught us so much through your story. Um, and those few minutes that we got to see, Dee Dee will be hanging out after service if you'd like to connect with her. But there's people in this room right now grieving. Maybe their grief is very fresh. Maybe their grief has been a companion of theirs for a long time. So for them, what would you, what would you say to them? I would just say God is with you, and he will help you get through it. God is with you. Absolutely. That's great advice, Dee Dee. Thank you so much. Can you give her a round of applause, please? So as we, as we continue our journey, um, I, I tell you, I, I love this book. I really do. I've, I've grown up with the Bible. Some of my earliest memories uh, were the, this book being read to me in, in the different stories. And my, my favorite parts of, of the Bible really were the, the stories. Because, you know, the stories, as we're, as we're seeing today, the stories are where these, these things, these ideas, these thoughts, these feelings, where they really come alive. We really experience them as in people's stories. That's where we see them. And I, my, my childhood imagination would always run crazy with, the, with these stories as I would hear them. I, I would paint these pictures in my mind of what it must have been like to have been here, to have been here, to have done this thing and had, had seen this thing. Uh, but one of the stories that, that always uh, just really sparked my imagination was in Matthew chapter 8. Verse 23. So Jesus gets on a boat 
And then his disciples follow him. And it says, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. And Jesus is asleep. And then these disciples just become overwhelmed by fear. And I, the picture in my mind, it was, just, it was so clear. I, uh, being a, a part of a family that would routinely go out fishing all of the time, to be out in the water on a boat, and to see that as kind of a recreational thing, a hobby, a pastime, something, something that we would do, to think that in that moment, at any, at any point, a storm can rage. And as soon as that happens, I become aware of just how much at the mercy I am of this storm around me. But I'm helpless to it. There's nothing I can do. And so I would just imagine what it must have been like for these disciples in the boat at the mercy of this storm and just petrified. It would just capture my imagination. But the other thing that, that really uh, struck me was how the disciples responded with the fear to be scared to death. And it struck me because in, in my context, the way I understood men to be, all the men in my life were, were strong men. They were powerful men, men that were always in control of their situation, always in control of their surroundings, didn't matter what was going on. And my understanding was that a man doesn't show fear. A man doesn't show weakness. That's not what a man does. And so this story always stuck with me. And even today, when I think, when I hear this passage, I still have that same image in my mind of, of what that must have been like. The next story you're going to be invited into is a story of, of a man's journey through his own storm. His own experience of, of being at the mercy of the waves of the sea just rising up around him. And how that, that put him at odds with what his understanding of what it was to be a man to not show weakness, to not show fear, to not admit defeat, to ask for help. All of those things ran counter to his understanding of what it was to be a man. And so I want to invite you in today to, to hear more about his story, his journey through his storm of depression. Check it out. You've got a, you got a wife and you have two awesome kids. Say, say a little bit about your family. I can't say a little bit about my family because they're just fantastic. They're, you know, my wife is accomplished therapist and social worker and has two MBAs and she hates it when I brag on her, but I think she's a rock star. She and is. Both my kids are rock stars, probably because of my wife, not me. But uh, they were great kids and they're great adults. Yeah. They're 20, almost 28 and almost 31. So. Almost 31, almost 28. Let's hit the rewind button in life. Let's go back to Ralph, early to mid-20s. You're, you're 25 years old. What would the 25-year-old Ralph, how would he understand the word hope? Well, when I was 25, I was John Wayne. Even though I was active in church and God-fearing Christian and all that, I was about me, and I thought I did it all. You know, God was along for the ride, and I didn't need hope. I was fine running my own show I thought you know you think about think about words like disappointment disillusionment depression when you hear those words does that does that connect with you at all absolutely um, 
anybody who would use those words were snowflakes. You know, suck it up, get over it. You know, suck it up, buttercup. I thought it was weakness, and you just not trying hard enough or just dwelling on yourself and you're being selfish and just suck it up and get, get over it. And I found out different. When I think of those words, I think of worthlessness, loneliness, darkness, despair. So what was that uh, that, that sent you into this space of, of darkness? What, what, had, what had happened? It's death by a thousand cuts. You don't just wake up one day and you're depressed. It's just kind of a stick going down steps. Yeah. And before you know it, you're pond scum. Mm. I mean, you feel lower than the low and you don't feel like that anybody's life benefits from you. And then you look up and you look at all the things you should be grateful for, but then you even feel worse because why do I feel this way with everything going so well? You know, yeah. everything's hunky-dory in my outside of my body and it just doesn't work that way it's 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 doesn't happen in a day and you don't get over it in a day about three years ago I had a complete nervous breakdown I mean full-fledged almost catatonic I tried to pin it on one thing for a lot of time long time you know like this was the problem you know it was that was the problem. When it really started getting bad, I, I had lost uh, my brother-in-law, had a nephew that committed suicide. I'd, not long before that, I'd lost my mother. My father-in-law died, my dad died. I had a latent memory come back from when I was four about abused, being abused when I was a child. It, it was just the perfect storm. Would sleep for days, I couldn't work. There was a point where if I got up and did laundry, that was a good day. It got so bad that uh, I considered taking my life and uh, almost did it. And I ended up sending a 911 to my Jordan and Katie and Kim. And they got on their horses and rode in and got me help. And uh, I ended up going to rehab. I did therapy. I went to every doctor in the world to find out what was wrong. Where was that point for you where you started to feel like, okay, I'm not out of the woods, but I, I, I can see, I can see a future. I can, I, I, I'm starting to have hope. It's hard to pinpoint because one of the things that having a breakdown does and depression does is it kind of wipes your memory. So chronologically, it's hard to answer that. But um, there's no adage as how do, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Mm -hmm. It looks like I'm gonna be an elephant the rest of my life. I'm not out of the woods. I mean, nobody is ever out of the woods. You gotta stay on top of it. Depression is not your fault. Hmm. It's chemical. Yeah. It, your, the brain is an amazing organ and there's so many things that can be happening, just need to be tweaked and antidepressants. I'll be on them for the rest of my life, probably. That's fine. I mean, if I was diabetic, I'd take insulin. I mean, you do what you got to do. So, so it sounds like you had some misconceptions about about what it meant to, to suffer from 
severe depression, it sounds like, to, to, to get to the level that, that, that you were, to really, really struggle. I was the kind of person that I would spend a day building a third hand so I could do a task when I could have called Chris, hey, could you come over and hold this for me? <laughs> and we'd be done in 15 minutes. Yeah. I was would not accept help, and yeah. you know, that was just kind of the way I was raised. My dad was that way, and that's wrong. I mean, you're not less of a man because you ask, ask for help. It sounds like now you, you have meaning uh, of the word hope. Hope is now a word in oh, your absolutely. vocabulary. Gratitude is a word in your vocabulary. Um, humility, humility is an important word for you. And these are things that I'm picking up on you that uh, maybe wasn't so uh, prominent in your 25 year old son. Yeah. Well, I'm more like the Andy Griffith now than John Wayne. Andy Griffith. Uh, I like Andy Griffith. Yeah, he's, he's still a man, but he <laughs> he does things um, the right way, yeah. you know, the soft way. We give Ralph a hand. <laughs> what amazes me about about his story, I, I've known Ralph for a good 15 plus years, known him well. Um, and during this season of his life, I'd see him often and I didn't know. I didn't know what was going on. And it's, it's a reminder for all of us in the space that we find ourselves in, as you look around, you just, you don't know what's behind that smile, what's behind those eyes, what they're carrying. And so I invite you as, you, as you visit with each other, linger in, for just a moment longer than you normally would in that conversation with that person, just to create the opportunity for them to offer something that they're, they just, they're, they're not quite ready, but they need to, because you just, you just don't know. You just don't know. Ralph, thank you for, for inviting all of us into your, your story. It's, it's a powerful story. Uh, I continue to learn a lot from you. Um, Imagine for a moment you're, you're talking to your son, Jordan. You're talking to all uh, the young men out there, anybody uh, that might be struggling in a place where you were. What's, what's one thing that you want us to hold on to? You want us to walk away from the space with this one thing. What would that be? Well, there's a lot of things, but uh, us men are sneaky, and we don't want to let anybody in to our weakness. And we're pretty good at hiding it. But uh, I would encourage you to find somebody that you trust, uh, your spouse, a friend, uh, one of your children, if they're old enough to, to be that kind of person for you, uh, a pastor, doctor, somebody, but reach out and show your weakness and get some help. Um, I hit rock bottom and I had to ask for help. And... Remember that the person that is in this place that, like I said in the video, I couldn't even do laundry in a day. And I'm not about to make an appointment with a psychiatrist. There's no way I could have done that. But I had a support system. I was very blessed with a great support system. And you've got to show your soul to somebody and let them carry you. Uh, and that's the first step. So 
just go out there and take a bite of that elephant because you'll get it eaten eventually and you'll be better for it. One of the, uh, one of the strongest things a person can do, and, and Ralph is continuing to teach this to me, one of the strongest things you can do is to admit your weakness, to admit that you need help, and to admit that, that you, you can't do it by yourself. You can't. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to invite people in to help carry you when you need it. It takes a lot of strength to do that. And Ralph taught us that. So Ralph, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us in. Thank you. Also, I I want to say one more thing. You got to have God first or you won't make it. But you also need somebody with skin on them to help you. uh, To be a vehicle for God. And I just appreciate this opportunity to speak with you. If we can just help one person, that validates to me how God let me go through this hell and come out on the other side and maybe save one person. So I hope you've been blessed today. Amen. Love y'all. So as we, as we finish up this journey, we think, about, we think about Ralph's story, we think about Dee Dee's story and the Thompson story. Everybody's got a story, right? We all have our story. We all have the skeletons in our closet. We all have wounds. We all have fears. We all have worries. What we learn today and what we continue to learn is what, what, Jesus, what Jesus was doing at this table was he was creating a new kind of community. A community that says, hey, you need help? Come here, we got you. You're afraid? Hey, come to this table and tell me about it. Tell me about your fears. Maybe I don't know the answer, but just let me be with you in that way. When you come to this table, you look around and you see who else is at the table. You find out, you know what? There's others like me. There are other people who have struggles the way that I struggle. I'm not alone. And we find that community right here and at the heart of it is the command that Jesus gave us at this table, and that was love each other the way that I have loved you. In, in Matthew's gospel, it says that the, the disciples kind of, they, they reached that point. They, they couldn't do it on their own. They knew they couldn't do it on their own. And so they go into the uh, depths of the boat, and they wake Jesus up, and they say, save us. And Jesus comes up, and he rebukes the storm. But if you go to Mark's gospel, you hear the words that he speaks in that moment. He goes up to the bow of the boat and he looks directly into the eye of the storm for the disciples, just as he does for each one of us. He looks directly into the eye of the storm and he says these words, peace, be still. And at once, the storm is calm. I think what we're learning today in our world right now is how much we need the peace of God. Amen?
as we look around the world and we see what's happening and we see the chaos and the war, I'm reminded of just how important this table is. A table of love, of sacrifice, of service, a table of peace. That's what we find at this table. I cannot think of a, a better way to close out a series because everyone in this room has experienced moments of doubts, disillusionment, depression, maybe even death. Those aren't the things that define us though. At this table, you are defined. At this table, God's love shapes you here. So as you stand and move towards this table, I would encourage you, whatever you're carrying, leave it in your seat. Leave it in your seat. And as you come, just remember, God's promise is for you, no matter what. Jesus said, this is my body broken just for you. And he said, this is my blood shed just for you. That means there's not a story in this room that is not already connected to God's love. So come and receive your promise. It's not my table. This isn't Cheyenne's table. This isn't the church's table. This is the Lord's table. And the Lord invites everybody. So everybody, it doesn't matter who you are. Everybody gets an invite to the table. Everybody gets an invite to taste the goodness of God's mercy. And so your invitation, as you're released row by row to come and receive, your invitation is to come and receive the peace of God. Let's pray. Father God, for, for your love that just won't stop, for your mercy that's unending, for your grace that just, there's no end to it. Father, for, for every war, your love comes out on the other side. For every death, your life comes out on the other side. For all of those things, Father, we say thank you. And just as we gather here, Father, we are aware of what's happening around our world. And we know and we trust that no matter what, no matter how dark it gets, that your love is gonna be the one light shining on the other side when the dust settles, your love will be the light that shines. A love that, that we came to understand at this table. So Father, use these elements the bread and the juice as we consume them, that we consume your love, your life, your peace. So when we leave this table, we go out into the world, we carry with us your peace. And when other people experience us, they experience your peace. And smile by smile, handshake by handshake, hug by hug, person to person, your peace is the thing that spreads throughout this world. Father, we love you and we praise you in your son's name. Amen.
Yes, Jesus, we thank you for your blood, for your sacrifice, and for your resurrection. And that because you live, we are alive in you.
on, sing these words in confidence, sing it out. The tomb where soldiers watched in vain was borrowed for three days. His body there would not remain, because our God has robbed the grave. Come on, church. Our God has robbed the joining us if you would like more information on pathway or to get connected to a ministry visit our website at pathway.church we look forward to growing with you as we worship together god loves you god is with you